Hey friends, my name is Ryan Hughley. I'm lead pastor of Ridgeline Church in Salt Lake City, Utah, and I want to welcome you to our podcast. We're working to build a community position to experience God in daily life. Our weekly teaching is one piece of that work. So as you listen to this week's message, my prayer is that you would hear God inviting you to respond to his love and his desire for you. For more information, you can visit ridgeline.church. Hey, if you, uh, if you grew up in a Christian church or spent any amount of time uh, before this in a Christian church, especially on Easter, you might be familiar with this traditional Easter greeting. So the way this works is uh, someone comes to you, like if I were to come to you and I were to say, he is risen, then the response is, anybody know? Risen oh, that's impressive. That's good. Um, <laughs> I bring that up because one of my favorite Easter memories is actually attached to this phrase. Um, I, my friend Zach, who some of you know, he has uh, spoken here at Ridgeline, many of you have met him. But when I first met my friend Zach, he was not a Christian. He was dating a girl that went to our church where I was a worship leader, and we were in desperate need of a drummer. And Zach grew up playing in a ska band, which I still love <laughs> pointing out to him at pretty much every interaction we have because it's the worst kind of music that there is, like objectively. <laughs> it's like we took two kind of terrible kinds of music and squished them together thinking that would fix it, and I'm here to tell you it did not. <laughs> so Zach played in a ska band. He was very gracious. He come, came to help us out and to play drums for us when we needed a drummer. But again, he, he, he was not a Christian, so there was this long stretch of time where he was playing, and any of the like kind of Christian culture things like that greeting were totally lost on him. And so one Easter morning, uh, he eventually came to faith. If you, I should probably just tell you that. Uh, he's a Christian now. He's an honorable man, good husband and dad, loves Jesus. He's great. And even though he was in a ska band, God still saved him. <laughs> so there's hope for you because you're not in a ska band, okay? So, so Zach and I are standing in the lobby one Easter Sunday. I think it was his first Easter Sunday. And one of the pastors comes out just grinning ear to ear. He comes right up to Zach and he's so earnest and excited. And he goes, hey, he is risen. And Zach was like, yep. <laughs> and then just kind of walked away. <laughs> Oh man, I choose to believe God thought it was hilarious because I certainly did. So listen, here's, here's why I bring up that phrase. Easter is the celebration of the resurrection of Jesus. We come together like this in remembrance of that first Easter morning some 2,000 years ago because he is risen. And so at the in the, uh, the end of Matthew's gospel, in Matthew chapter 28, we see Mary, the mother of Jesus, and Mary Magdalene come to the tomb expecting to find this tomb sealed up. And instead, they find the tomb uh, open, and they encounter an angel. And the angel says to them, do not be afraid, for I know you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. And so at the resurrection, Jesus fulfilled a promise that God had made all the way back in Genesis chapter 3 to redeem the world in general and to redeem humanity in particular. He died for our sin, he rose for our freedom, and that is what we celebrate on Easter. 
But I've, I've noticed something that I find kind of curious. Anytime that we think about the resurrection of Jesus, oftentimes we tend to focus our, our attention on the, the eternal implications of the resurrection. Meaning that the resurrection of Jesus secures our eternity with him. And that is where we tend to focus our attention. And please hear me, that is not wrong. The problem is there was more than eternal implications in the resurrection. It does more than just secure our eternity with Jesus. There are also immediate implications that affect us right now. And because of that, I've been sitting with this question all week long. And that question is just simply this. Why is the resurrection good news today? Not just when you die. Not just when Jesus comes back. Why is the resurrection of Jesus good news today? Because if all we do is focus our attention on the eternal implications, it's pretty hard to keep front of mind why this is so history-altering in all of our lives. If it's just about eternity, it's just this golden ticket that gets us into heaven. The truth is, it is an eternal uh, reality, but it's also an immediate one that affects us right now, right here today. So why is the resurrection good news today? And here is the most simple way that I can think, succinct way I can think to answer that question. The resurrection is good news today because it secures our redeeming access to God. Not just an eternity, like right now. The resurrection secures our redeeming access to God. Again, that's not just an eternity thing. It is an immediate, right now, in this moment, reality. Because of the resurrection, we have access to redeeming, transforming, healing relationship with God right now. And I want to spend the few moments that we have together teasing that out a little bit to help us understand that in in real time. But to start, I want to acknowledge what I think can be a pretty significant speed bump anytime we talk about the subject of the resurrection. And that speed bump is just like, how, how can we really have confidence in the resurrection? Like maybe you grew up in, in the church, and, and you've never really thought about that or wrestled with that. But definitely, if you came to faith later in life, that was a pretty big speed bump because people don't come back from the dead. So how is it that we can have confidence that Jesus actually rose from the dead? Because many people claimed then, many people still claim today, that Jesus' early disciples stole his body and lied and told everyone that he had resurrected from the dead. So how can we have confidence that that's not the case, that Jesus did in fact rise from the dead? I'm not gonna spend much time here, but just in a couple of minutes, I wanna give you five reasons for confidence in the resurrection, okay? Five reasons for confidence. We're gonna move quick through here. Here's the first reason that we can have confidence in the resurrection. Number one is the testimony of the women. The testimony of the women. If you don't know that much about first century culture, women had absolutely zero authority, zero voice. Their testimony was not admissible in any sort of court of law. So if you were trying to like pull a ruse on a bunch of people, the last thing that you would do is have a group of women be the first people that testify to what had happened, unless what they're saying is actually true. And then who comes first doesn't really matter because this happened. 
So the first reason for confidence is the testimony of the women. The second is the transformation of the disciples. If you don't know anything about Jesus' first disciples, they were cowardly and severely lacking in faith pretty much from start to finish. That's how they started. And then, in almost a moment, they become these bold, unshakable pillars of faith in the face of severe persecution. And here's what I know. Pulling off a lie does not transform you from being cowardly to confident. That doesn't happen. The reason for that instantaneous change in them was because they saw this guy die, and then they saw him alive. So the testimony of the women, the transformation of the disciples, the third is the eyewitness accounts. Do you know that the Apostle Paul puts the number of people that Jesus appeared to after his resurrection at over 500 people? Now, anybody can make up that number, but here's the thing. When Paul wrote 1 Corinthians, and in chapter 15, when he says that Jesus appeared to over 500 people, those people were all still alive. So any one of them could have raised their hand and be like, no, 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 I didn't, that's not what I saw, that's not what I said. But they didn't do that. Like, think about our justice system. Oftentimes, if you have one eyewitness account, you will win the case according to that eyewitness account. Jesus had over 500 people see him alive after his resurrection. A fourth reason for confidence is the multiplication of the church. The church went from a few mediocre disciples to thousands in a matter of days. And the reason that that happened was because all of these people began to see Jesus alive or they saw the effect of the resurrection on the life of the early disciples. And then lastly, a fifth reason for confidence in the resurrection is the conviction of the early church. Do you know that virtually every single one of the first disciples were at least persecuted, if not murdered, for their faith? Here's what I know. Nobody dies for a lie. Why would you, I mean... Why would you do that? They didn't recant because they couldn't. They saw Jesus die, and then they saw him alive. And so if you're here and you're in this place of really wrestling with, trying to evaluate the reasonableness of the evidence for the resurrection of Christ, feel free to email me, uh, and I can send you some books that will deal with it in much more detail. But I didn't want to just like blow past this massive claim that we make without at least acknowledging that it can be a hang-up for a lot of people. It's the hang-up for most people when it comes to faith. Because if it's true, then the only authentic response is to say, well, I'm going to follow this guy for the rest of my life. So we have good reason to believe this. But this is not where we're going to spend our time. Where we're really going to spend our time is looking at why specifically the resurrection is good news for us today. Okay, and I'm going to give you three reasons briefly. The first one is this. Number one, the resurrection is good news today because the resurrection grants us access to the perfect love of the Father. It grants us access to the perfect love of the Father. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 18, the Apostle Paul writes this. He says, For through him, Jesus... We both, he's speaking of Jews and Gentiles alike, so everyone, through Jesus, we all have access in one spirit to the Father. So because of the resurrection, we have access 
to this life-altering reversal in relationship with God. We get to move from being outsiders in near constant opposition to God to being adopted as sons and daughters. Fully accepted, fully welcomed by God, fully loved children of God, no matter who we are and what we've done. We get to be adopted as sons and daughters. And that is no small thing. I got to experience adoption in my personal life in that my biological dad, many of you know this, my biological dad left our family when I was three years old and my mom remarried when I was five. And the man that she remarried adopted my brother and I. And so the very first time that I met him, he was just the PA in the ER that was treating my ear infection. And then uh, I was just another patient, many that he, the one of many that he saw that night. But after that marriage and after that adoption, I was made so much more. I became a son and he loved me. And from everything I've ever been able to tell, he loved me exactly the same way that he loved his two biological children as well. I got to be adopted by him. I went from being just another patient to actually being a son. Now, anytime we talk about God as father, I've noticed that in my own heart and in many of our hearts, there starts to be some resistance that creeps up inside of us. Anytime we talk about God as father, and there's good reason for that. Like it's pretty complicated for me after what I just told you, I'm sure that you can imagine that. My very first and formative experience with a father was of being abandoned by one. And I gotta tell you, that screws you up in a special kind of way. So this is a complicated subject for me to relate with and to think about God as father. And my guess is it is for many of you as well. And so the question is, if we feel resistance to God as father, what, are, what, are, what do we do with that? Well, many of us, either consciously or unconsciously, choose to just sort of reject God as father. Maybe relate with him in other ways, but, but this father thing, we're just gonna completely stay away from that language, completely stay away from relating with God as our father. But the problem with that is it profoundly limits our experience of relationship with him. And so when it comes to God as father, we really have two options in how we work through that. Option number one is that we, we project our own limited, imperfect experience with our earthly fathers onto God. And we go, this is what my earthly dad was like. This is what my heavenly dad is like. I got a couple problems with that. The first is, you and I would hate it if someone did that to us. We want people to relate with us based on their experience with us, not their experience that they had with someone else that kind of reminded them of, uh, that we kind of remind them of. It's just not fair to do to people. So that's problem number one. Problem number two is this. Father does not define God. God defines father. And that sounds like it's just semantics, but it's not. It's very significant. Because if father defines God, then you and I are left to take our own experience of what a father is and go, well, this is what God's like. But the truth is God defines what a father is meant to be like. And so we have the first option where we just take our own experience and we project that onto God and go, this is what he's like. Or option number two is we allow scripture and the Holy Spirit 
to both deconstruct and reconstruct our entire perception of true fatherhood. And the truth is, and I want to be very sensitive to this because I feel it too. The truth is, some of us in this room had no dad. Some of us in this room had an evil dad. And at best, we all had a terribly imperfect one. Amen? It's not Father's Day. You can amen that. Come on. (laughs) Now, rather than allow our personal experience to poison our perception of God as Father, the resurrection invites us to this experience of the perfect love of our true Father. And I want you to know that God is compassionate, good, and kind. He is a father who sees you, who knows you, who understands everything about you. He is a father who welcomes you, who holds you, who helps you when you're in need. He's a father who never abuses you. He will never use you. He will never take advantage of you. He will never leave you. He will never abandon you. He will not forsake you. No matter where you go, no matter what you do, no matter the condition that you come in, his arms are open. And the only message on his lips towards you is always, you are my son, you are my daughter, chosen and marked by my love, pride of my life. If you want to know what Jesus uh, thinks and feels when he looks at you, that's it. He loves us perfectly. So the resurrection is good news today because it grants us access to this perfect love of our Father. But that's not all. Secondly, the resurrection grants access to the healing presence of Jesus. Uh, At the very end of Matthew chapter 28, Jesus has gathered all of his disciples post-resurrection at Galilee. And he spends a few moments with them and he begins to both describe and to define the mission that he is entrusting to them. They are supposed to go out into all of the world and everywhere they go, they're supposed to make more disciples who follow Jesus. Now, I, I can imagine being there with Jesus at that time and, there, and, and feeling a really deep sense of distress for two reasons. One is just the scope of the mission. Like it was a, a huge thing to say to them, I want you to go into all of the world and make disciples. So that would have been very, very overwhelming just because of the scope of the task. But secondly, it would have been very distressing for them because the reality of their experience with Jesus was getting ready to change. They had been spending three years with Jesus in the flesh, and he has made it clear he is getting ready to leave them in bodily form. So it is safe to assume that this was a very distressing conversation for them to participate in with Jesus. Like, imagine that you lived in the 1500s, and you you got invited to assist Michelangelo as he sculpted the David arguably in the top three to five most beautiful sculptures of all time. And you get invited to assist Michelangelo. So you're probably handing him whatever hammer. I don't really know how sculpting works. You hand him a hammer, I'm assuming. 
There's probably different kinds of chisels. You gotta keep him hydrated, because if he dies on the job, that's gonna be a real bummer. You gotta keep him fed. So your, your role is assisting him in this great task. But then imagine that he finishes the David and he goes, okay, you watched me. Now I want you to go out into the world and I want you to do the exact same thing. Any, any confidence that you had in your task was attached to the fact that you were just assisting him, right? Like Michelangelo was a master of what he did. You're just there as an assistant. So imagine being given this overwhelming task. All that confidence would be almost immediately gone. When the master's gone, so is the confidence. And that is the state of the disciples in this moment. And that's why this commissioning came with such a comforting promise. Because at the very end of Matthew chapter 28, the very last words of Jesus that close out Matthew's account say this. Jesus said, and remember. That's a really important word. Remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Think about how necessary that reassurance was. Jesus is saying to them, hey, just just because my body is leaving, my presence doesn't. I will always be with you. I will not leave you. I will not forsake you. And this is why one of the great tasks of the Christian life is to cultivate an awareness of Jesus' presence with us. This is why we sit with God every day, to cultivate an awareness of his presence. This is why we get still through the practice of silence and solitude. It's so that we can cultivate an awareness of his presence. This is why we savor scripture. It's so that we can cultivate an awareness of his presence. This is why we search our lives for where God is at work and how he's inviting us to respond. It's to cultivate an awareness of his presence because it's his presence that heals our every wound. And if you walk through life completely unaware of his presence with you, then we forfeit that healing. And there are so many times in life we don't hear him, we don't feel him, we don't see him at work, but the problem is never his presence. It's always only our awareness. And so we do the work to cultivate that awareness. The resurrection is good news because it grants us access to the healing presence of Jesus. And then finally, number three is this. The resurrection is good news because it grants us access to the life-giving power of the Spirit. Bless you. It grants us access to the life-giving power of the Spirit. In Acts chapter 1, if you want to turn there in your Bible, if you have it with you, in Acts chapter 1, Luke records Jesus' final words with his disciples. And in the midst of that, he makes another promise in verse 8. He says this, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. I don't know if you've noticed this, but I find one of the most overwhelming aspects or realities of adult life is the belief that we really only have our strength to carry us through. Like when you're a kid, 
so much happens for you because of mom and dad or the caregivers in your lives. And as an adult, it's easy to fall into this belief like everything in my life is completely contingent upon my own strength. And that's overwhelming because we tend to be pretty aware of the limitations of our own strength. Some of us fake it really hard and some of us fake it really well, but we're pretty, somewhere inside of us, we're all pretty aware that we have significant limitations. And because of that, what happens is oftentimes we look at life in general or we look at some situation in particular and we look at it and we feel overwhelmed by it. And when we feel overwhelmed by it, we, we, we think some version of this phrase, I can't do this. And I don't know what this is, but we look at that situation. Some of us are feeling this with life in general right now. And we think, I just can't do this. Now listen, that's what happens when we lose sight of the source of our power. That's what happens when we lose sight of the source of our power. So if you're here and you are thinking or feeling some version of this sentiment that is, I just can't do this. There's an image that I want you to lock away that's gonna seem like a weird image, but I want you to lock this image away in your mind, okay? It's gonna be up on the screen. It's the image of a power supply or a plug, okay? If any part of you right now is thinking like, I, I just can't do this, I can't raise these kids, I can't do this job anymore, I can't work through this conflict, I can't trust God in the midst of this, I just can't do this. If you're thinking that, I want you to think about a plug. Because that I just can't do this that thought, that feeling is soaked in weariness and it's soaked in despair. And weariness and despair are what happen when we forget that we are the plug, not the power. That's a pretty big difference. We're the plug, we're not the power. See, I think that so much of what wears us out is not overexertion. It's failure to abide in the source of our power. Because we walked through COVID not able to do almost anything. And I was more tired than I'd been in my whole life. And often, yes, it's circumstantial. Yes, we went through a very traumatic global trauma together. And my guess is we also, much of the time, didn't do an awesome job of abiding in the source of our power, which is exactly who and what the Holy Spirit is to us. He is our helper and our counselor and our comforter. He is the one who gives us wisdom. He is the one who gives us understanding. He is the one who gives us clarity. He is the one who provides us with conviction. He empowers us to live the lives that we were made for and accomplish the mission that Christ set before us. So when Jesus rose, he gave us access to this life-giving power of the Spirit. So let me say again, the resurrection is good news today because it secures our redeeming access to this God. And here's the thing. The resurrection secures our access to relationship. Got that? The resurrection secures our access to relationship. But listen, faith 
secures our experience of it. When Jesus stood up and walked out of that tomb, access was given to everyone. An invitation was extended to all people in all times at all places, regardless of who they are, regardless of what they'd done, regardless of what had been done to them. An invitation was extended to the whole world at all places in all times to come to God. Access was granted, but faith is what secures that relationship, our experience of it. God's arms are open wide to us because of the resurrection. Jesus bore the consequence for sin. He died paying the full price for sin, and he rose giving us access. And we don't earn that or secure that with our works. We receive that by faith. We receive it by believing that Jesus did rise from the dead. There's nothing to earn. There's nothing to prove. There's no penance to pay. There's no sacrifice to make. And the more of a control freak you are, the harder that probably is for you. Yeah, well, what do I do? Just believe. There's a lifetime of relationship after that decision. But to experience the reality of relationship that the resurrection gives us access to, you just believe. And that is the biggest difference between genuine Christian faith and every other expression of spirituality and religion. We don't earn anything. We spend a lot of time trying. And you got to just think that God spends so much time going, wish you guys would just stop. Like, what, what was the point of this? If you're going to keep striving to earn my love, I've already given it to you. It's yours. You can't do anything to lose it. You can't do anything to diminish it. All you have to do is to believe. This relationship is a gift that we simply receive with humility and gratitude. And this is why the resurrection is good news for you and for me today. And so the question is, will you receive this gift? You might be here and you're not a follower of Jesus. You might be here and you might think you are, but maybe some lights are going on for you in this moment where you, you really haven't been living in a relationship with God marked by just receiving, you've been trying to earn. And if that's you, man, I just want to invite you this morning to stop and to rest in the finished work of Christ for you. All you have to do is believe and he will lead you forward. Will you bow your head with me? Jesus, I thank you for each one of these people and we thank you for all that you have done for us we thank you that you paid the full price for our sin. We thank you that there is nothing more for us to prove, nothing more for us to earn. 
There is only a gift for us to receive. And so, Lord, this morning we receive that gift. Some of us receive the gift again. Lord, I thank you that each morning is an opportunity to wake up and to breathe in grace. We get to receive this gift fresh every day. And some of us, Lord, I believe by faith, are here this morning and you are inviting us to receive that gift for the very first time. So Lord, I thank you that you know where all of us are at this morning because I don't. And then some of us might sit here and we don't even know where we're at this morning. But you do. You understand us perfectly. And so Lord, I pray for every single person listening that you would awaken our hearts to deeper faith right now. Lord, your word says in Romans 10, 9, that if we confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord and we believe in our heart that you raised him from the dead, that we will be saved in this relationship with you. And so, Lord, I pray that if anyone has never made that decision, that you would invite them to that now. That they would believe that Jesus is who he says he is and has done everything that he claims. Lord, we thank you for the good news of the resurrection, not just in eternity, but today. Lord, would you help us to live in light of both the eternal and the immediate implications of the resurrection every day. We love you and we need you in Jesus' name. And in one loud, louder Easter voice, everyone said, Amen. Amen.